2: Hello, welcome to New Books and Buddhist Studies, part of the New Books Network. I'm Luke Thompson, host of the channel. Today I'll be speaking with Stephen Kemper about his recent book, Rescued from the Nation, Anagatika Dharmapala in the Buddhist World, published by the University of Chicago Press in 2015. This book is part of the University of Chicago Press's Buddhism and Modernity series, edited by Donald Lopez. In this monograph, Stephen Kemper examines the Sinhala layman Anagatika Dharmapala and argues that this figure has been misunderstood by both Sinhala nationalists, who have appropriated him for their own political ends, and scholars, who have portrayed Dharmapala primarily as a social reformer and a Sinhala chauvinist. Making extensive use of the Journal of the Mahabodhi Society, effectively a forum for the expression of Dharmapala's own opinions, and the entirety of Dharmapala's meticulous diaries, which cover a 40-year period, Kemper asserts that Dharmapala was above all a religious seeker, a world-renouncer who at times sought to emulate the life of the Buddha. Central Central to Kemper's study of Dharmapala are the diametrically opposed themes of universalism and nationalism. While Dharmapala was realistic insofar as he understood that the various Buddhist sects and orders could not be united due to sectarian, ethnic, and caste- and class-related divisions, his Buddhist identity was in no way based on his own Sinhala identity, and his life was organized around three universalisms, an Asian Buddhist universalism, the universalism of theosophy, and the universalism of the British Imperium. He spent much of his adult life living outside of Sri Lanka and at various times imagined and hoped to be reborn in India, Japan, Switzerland, and England. Dharmapala devoted much of his life to establishing Buddhist control of the Mahabodhi temple in Bodhagaya, India, which had been the legal property of a Shaivite monastic order since the early 18th century and had since come to be thoroughly incorporated into a Hindu pilgrimage route. His interest in the temple was in part a result of his own efforts to follow in the footsteps of the Buddha, but was also his attempt to establish a geographical point of focus for Buddhists, a Buddhist mecca, if you will, around which Buddhists could rally and come together. He looked at many sources of potential support, including the Bengali elite, Japan, the Thai royal family, and British government officials in India, but in the end failed to achieve his aim. In contrast to previous depictions of Dharmapala as a Protestant Buddhist who encouraged the laicization of Buddhism, Kemper shows that Dharmapala was, if anything, an ascetic at heart, who believed celibacy was a prerequisite for soteriological progress and participation in Buddhist work, who emphasized meditation, and whose spiritual aspirations are visible from a very early age. Kemper also shows that the influence of theosophy on Dharmapala's interpretation of Buddhism and thought more broadly did not end with his formal break with the American Colonel Olcott and the Theosophical Society in 1905, but continued to the end of his life, a fact obscured by Sinhala nationalistic portrayals of him. At some 500 pages, Rescued from the Nation includes detailed discussions of many contemporaneous figures, movements, and trends. These include Japanese institutional interest in India... Japanese nationalism, and the struggles of Japanese Buddhism in the aftermath of the Meiji Restoration, the World Parliament of Religions that took place in Chicago in 1893 and the emergence of the category of world religion, the Bengali Renaissance and associated figures such as Swami Vivekananda, Western interest in Buddhism and Indian religion, and South Asian resistance to British colonial governance. In this way, the the book will be of great value to those interested in Asian religions and modernity, Buddhist and Hindu revival movements, Asian Nationalisms, and Asia during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to New Books and Buddhist Studies. Today I'm with Stephen Kemper, and we're going to be discussing his recent book, Rescued from the Nation, Anagarika Dharmapala and the Buddhist World, published by the University of Chicago Press in 2015. Stephen Kemper is Charles A. Dana Professor of Anthropology in the Department of Anthropology at Bates College. His previous research has focused on, among other things, the Construction of Buddhist and National Identity in Sri Lanka and the Advertising Industry in Sri Lanka and Malaysia. Stephen Kemper, welcome to the show and thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um so I was wondering if you could just begin the interview by telling us a very little bit about yourself, where you're from and how you came to anthropology and the study of Sri Lanka, Buddhism and religion.
0: Yeah, happy to do so. Uh, I I grew up in Indiana, and uh, I Came to New England to go to college, um, went back to the Midwest to go to graduate school at Chicago, uh, got a job uh, in the state of Maine, and I've been here ever since. Uh, I started out in college working on uh, classics English, uh, and English uh, and wasn't terribly good at it, but uh, uh, was enthusiastic about it, but I had m- misgivings about... Uh, uh, about matters that well, you might call epistemological. I, I didn't see it quite that way at the time. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand the standards of judgment. Uh, so I became an anthropologist on the rebound. Uh, I, I thought uh, anthropology was the the zone of fact and empiricism and uh, straightforward. I, I, I know better now. And uh, <laughs> uh, in, in effect, I got what I wanted by, by backing into it, uh, I became an interpretive anthropologist by, by the people I met and the the, 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 the course I pursued, oh, uh, but uh, I I didn't become an anthropologist straight away. It would be it would have been hard for me to have imagined when I started college, um, my doing what I'm doing now.
2: Hmm. And what about Sri Lanka? How did you come to sh- the study of Sri I, Lanka?
0: I I went to graduate school. I knew I was interested in in India. Um, I. Um, I, I took Indian Civ with, uh, McKim Marriott, uh, saw his black and white slides of Kishangari, uh, on the North Indian Plain, And I thought, I'm not sure I can do that. Uh, <laughs> and Sri Lanka, uh, looked awfully green and, uh, and benign. And, um, uh, <laughs> and then I met <laughs> Mel Spiro, who, uh, was a wonderful guy who had, a uh, uh who who worked in Burma but had 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 uh experience of Sri Lanka and I uh, uh thought I'd work with him but he left Chicago and went uh he went to uh start the department of anthropology at La Jolla. So uh, then I gravitated toward Nir and I've been doing Sri Lanka ever since.
1: Hmm.
2: So, so how did you um, come to focus specifically on Anagarika Dharmapala? And I should mention for listeners unfamiliar with this figure that Dharmapala was a Sri Lankan layman who was a champion of Buddhism and spent much of his life in India and England spreading the Buddhist word and also uh, attempting to establish Buddhist control of the Mahabodhi temple in Bodhagaya in northern India. And his dates are 1864 to 1933.
0: Uh, and that, too, had a, a roundabout course. I was asked to give a paper at a conference at uh, Boston University on Dharmapala, and I uh, wrote the paper, um, uh, used the usual sources. Uh, th- then I realized that there were two great uh, resources that... Uh, uh, nobody had really fully exploited the, the first is the Journal of the Mahabodhi Society, which is uh, which, which was Dharmapala's mouthpiece for almost the duration of his life from the uh, from the 1890s until he dies in 1933. And uh, what I eventually I, I discovered is he had notebooks. Everybody knew he had notebooks, but it wasn't clear to me as a Sri Lankanist that they were easily accessible. And uh, when I started out uh, uh, doing field work, and uh, I saw people, Michael Roberts and uh, Tessa Bartholomew's and Gananath uh making reference to the notebooks. And it occurred to me nobody has ever looked at the, the, the entirety of these notebooks. So I. I went to Japan on the way to Sri Lanka. I met a, a Sri Lankan Buddhist monk in Japan who uh, it was had recently been elected the president of the Mahabodhi Society, hmm. and um, he let me have access to the diaries. Uh, many people have had access to the diaries, as it turns out, but I sat in the Dharmapala Trust Library, and I photographed those diaries, <laughs> and I I burned up a a little digital camera doing so because there there are thirty six volumes, four hundred pages per volume, typescript, full scap size pages, and uh, I I was at a point in my career where I was willing to put the immense amount of time into uh, exploiting this resource, which uh, you know if I had been. your age and looking uh, for a job or looking for a tenure, I certainly wouldn't have had time to do it, but at my age, I did have time to do it, so uh, I I got enthusiastic about uh, uh, a big-time commitment to Dharmapala, simply by virtue of having something that no one had ever uh, decided to exploit before, which is uh, the diaries and the, and the journal.
2: Yes. And, and and you quote very extensively from the diaries I, in the book.
0: I, I do. It took me five years to read the diaries wow. and to index the diaries. So I I have a lifetime of material about Dharmapala, and uh, that's what drives me uh, into Dharmapala. It's, it's uh, having seen a part of his life that no one else had ever bothered to take a look at.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Great. So... Um, So um, in the introduction of the book, you emphasize the themes of universalism and nationalism and these are themes that um, recur throughout the book or uh, particularly universalism, which is very central to this monograph. Um, And you situate these themes in the context of the late 19th and early 20th century, noting how these ideas were um, central to the reconceptualization of Buddhism and other religions during this period. Um, So would you briefly sort of just, we're going to get into this more later on in the interview, but would you just briefly discuss um, sort of why these themes of universalism and nationalism are important in your work and uh, perhaps in the context of uh, previous scholarship on Dharmapala? Uh,
0: absolutely. Uh, Dharmapala, I think, uh, in almost every account has been understood as uh, a Buddhist reformer, uh, and an ethnic chauvinist. He, uh, he tied Singala ethnicity to the religion and he revived both of them in the late 19th century. And, uh, uh, people who who've tried to understand the guy have understood him in the context of, uh, the, the, uh, the process by which Sri Lanka became independent, the process by which uh, uh, Sri Lankans who had had, uh, become Christians uh, returned to their Buddhist origins, and uh, an entirely uh, Sri Lankan context. Reading the the diaries, I realized that he spent uh, something on the order of 80 to 90% of his adult life living outside of sri lanka mm. and uh, uh, the, the diaries gave me a, a day-by-day account of what he did outside of sri lanka so uh the, the, I, I the universalism theme was was pertinent to his historical moment uh there was certainly a huge amount of that uh, uh, around in the late 19th century whether it's uh, whether it 's the International Postal Union or whether it 's uh, all the things that Leila Gandhi talks about in effective communities uh, there, there was an interest in, uh, that, that parallel, paralleled and uh, encountered the uh, the rise of nationalism in the late nineteenth century, and uh, I, I thought that Dharmapalo, uh was going to have a career as a universalist once he got to Calcutta, where he he left Sri Lanka um, in in 1889 on a on a trip to uh, uh, Japan. He came back. Uh, he, he made a later trip uh, after the annual meetings of the Theosophical Society. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about them in a minute. Mm-hmm. And then he made his way to. Bodh Gaya, which is the, the place of the Buddhist enlightenment. Um, he didn't stay in Bodh Gaya very long. He, he moved to Calcutta and uh, he set up housekeeping in Calcutta and he received the, the support of uh, the, the Bengali Badralok, namely well-to-do people in Bengal who were also members of the Theosophical Society. Uh, I should say about the Theosophical Society that it's a it's a, a Western movement uh, led by a woman named Madame Blavatsky, who was uh, uh, a Russian aristocrat who made her way to England and eventually to New York City, where she met uh, an equally anomalous character, namely Henry Steele Olcott, who had been an, an American Civil War officer. And, uh, they started this society. Uh, she was the, the, uh, ideological, uh, uh the source of ideology, uh, the mythopoetic genius. He was the organizational person. And he had real organizational skills. And he, he Blavatsky less than, than Olcott. Olcott was, uh, a universalist. And Dharmapala became his, uh, assistant. Uh, when Olcott and Blavatsky went to Sri Lanka in 1880 uh, to help uh, rescue Buddhism, uh, Dharmapala was a young boy. He was, at that point, 16 years old, but he became a member of the Theosophical Society because his father and his uncle and uh, a number of people he knew were members. And uh, he served as uh, Olcott's translator. And he followed in Olcott's footsteps. Olcott was uh, a wonderful human being who looked at Asians and saw fellow human beings, which uh, wasn't a turn of mind that uh, there was (laughs) very little of in in Colombo in in Mm -hmm. the late 19th century. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so uh, he became uh, a a firm friend of uh, a a whole set of people who were interested in... um, in the revival of buddhism and and the, the 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 idea of universal brotherhood comes from olcott it was more important for olcott than it was for dharmapala so uh, uh the, the theme of uh Universalism uh, versus nationalism as i as I wrote the book, I discovered there there, were, there was less universalism on on Dharmapala 's side than I had imagined, mm-hmm. but that certainly is the intellectual uh, uh, context and it's it 's not that he didn 't have a global career and that he wasn 't interested in making Contact with the Japanese and the Burmese and uh, whatever other Asians he could he could hook up with, uh, but he Olcott wanted to create a Buddhism a not only a brotherhood of, of Buddhists but a uh, an institutional Buddhism that would provide strength for the Japanese to fight back against Christian missionary effort uh, and likewise for the Burmese and and for Buddhists all over Asia. Um Dharmapala uh I think uh, I, what what you can say about Dharmapala is either he had less interest in 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 creating a unitary Buddhism or he had more realism uh with regards to how difficult that would be mm-hmm. to do. And part of that realism I think comes from his having grown up in, in Sri Lanka mm-hmm. and known uh what what Olcott couldn't quite get his mind around, which was uh, the, the social distance between the Candian monks of the Siam Nikaya and the low country monks uh, of the other two Nikayas. The,
2: uh, the, the the Nikayas here being monastic orders.
0: The, yes, these yep. are monastic uh, communities, uh, ordination lineages, and they are they're they're the the. the the Amarapura and the Ramani Nikaya are the, Ram, the Ramani Nikaya is a single nikaya, but the, the Amarapura monks have broken into oh, twenty-five different subgroups, and the Siam monks have their sub nikayas as well. So, and 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 many of them, not all of them, but I would say eighty percent of those different nikayas are recruited on the basis of caste.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So Olcott thought that that could be overcome. Dharmapala, I su- suspect, did not think that was realistic. And it may have been that experience that made Dharmapala less interested in creating a unitary Buddhism across Asia, mm-hmm. um, because he knew how it was unrealistic, even in a local context yes. like Sri Lanka. And once he got to Japan um, he, and saw the the various sectarian forms of Japanese Buddhism, Uh, Once he had his encounter with uh, um, Kokuchukai, which is the (laughs) Japanese uh, Nichirenist uh, religion that he ran into in 1902, um, I think he knew full well (laughs) that it Mm -hmm. wasn't likely that the Japanese were going to throw their lot in with either the Mahabodhi Society, with Dharmapala, or with, uh, uh, however you want to call it, Theravada Buddhism.
2: Right. Great. So, um, I want you, I, I'd like to ask you a bit more about the influence of the Theosophical Society on Dharmapala's thinking. But before that, I just wanted to, because, uh, for people who have read previous, um, or at least English language scholarship on Dharmapala, um, most, uh, many of those people will, um, associate him with Protestant Buddhism. And, um, and you argue that he, in fact, sort of wasn't a, um, you seem to argue that he wasn't exactly a Protestant Buddhist. So I was wondering if you could just uh, briefly address that point.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure I can do it briefly. But well, I'll, do yeah. it, I'll do it happily and as briefly as possible. Um, the, the, the guiding idea uh, for the study of, of Buddhist modernity in Sri Lanka is Protestant Buddhism. It's an idea that uh, comes originally from Gananath Obeyesekere, and it, it's picked up by uh, Obeyesekere and Richard Gombrich in their book Buddhism Transformed. And it's it's the notion that. Um, In in the reforms that Olcott uh, put in motion and Dharmapala continued, uh, there was an attempt to create a kind of laicized Buddhism with lay people uh, uh, leading the way and a kind of egalitarianism uh, that that, uh, looks like Protestantism. uh, And a a kind of uh, uh, concern for... Um, everyday uh, uh, religious behavior uh, that has a kind of Protestant rationality, Mm -hmm. if you believe Max Weber as well. And uh, uh, my response to that is Buddhism has become laicized. Uh, Lay people have Uh, whether it's Sri Lanka, Burma, Thailand, Cambodia, lay people have uh, taken on unprecedented roles, but that wasn't what Dharmapala had in mind. Mm -hmm. So my book is an attempt to try to make an argument about what he did have in mind, in spite of the fact that um uh, is entirely right about uh lay people coming to the fore. That that, that that's that goes without argument. Mm-hmm. But Dharmapala understood the religious life as depending upon celibacy. And uh, I would say if you want the 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 key to my argument, it is um, taking seriously Dharmapala's own self understanding and that self-understanding is is that of a man who didn't see himself primarily as a social reformer he saw himself as a world renouncer uh, like many other south Asians who think that celibacy is the key to uh, spiritual progress he saw all sasana work that is all buddhist religious work as requiring celibacy mm-hmm. so he, he he didn't want to. He didn't want lay people coming to the fore. He wanted people like himself coming to the fore. He was a brahmacharya. He wanted to uh, create a, a, a brahmacharya order or an anagarika order, and he hoped that those people would would lead the uh, the 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 reformation of Buddhism, and they would all be celibate. So he didn't have it in mind that uh, pious lay people would uh, play the role that, in fact, they've taken on.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So that actually leads to another question I had, which was that um, in the last uh, 10 pages of Chapter 1, you discussed Dharmapala's views of marriage, spiritual companionship, and celibacy, and you write that, Dharmapala's interest in spiritual companionship complicates his role as either a brahmacharya or a Protestant Buddhist, but it fits nicely with the turn of the century world he inhabited. So I was wondering if you could just uh, talk a bit more about his views concerning these matters. um, Yeah. Uh, And and the ways in which he himself struggled. You mentioned this incident in Japan, for example.
0: Right. Um, Um. Dharma has been uh, in, in an early argument obia sacred takes Dharma to be a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Dharma is not a homosexual he is he struggles with his heterosexual urges throughout his life and he uh he never breaks his vow of celibacy, but he has some kind of encounter in a uh, in a uh, Japanese bathhouse in a uh, in a ryokan. uh uh where he um he's served by a, a Japanese woman uh she bends over i think he sees her breast uh he's uh, he's aroused and he he feels self-loathing for the rest of his days because of that it 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 uh it may have been more than that but it was certainly not sexual intercourse so uh he he's he uh, What I think is the great misunderstanding of this man is that uh, Obisacra and and Gombrich take him as a man who wears white. Uh, He wore white robes, distinctive white robes, when he went to the World Parliament of Religions in 1893. Mm -hmm. But by 1895, he was wearing ochre. Um, he, He... he he took the vow of brahmacharya and he he, he saw himself following the bodhisattva path mm-hmm. his father put him on the bodhisattva path by taking having him on for for a uh, full moon day um t- take take um uh, uh, bodhisattva vows mm. uh you know, and uh, that was his self understanding he 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 had it in mind that he would he would replicate the life of the buddha mm-hmm. and his going to bodh gaya is not simply uh social activism trying to reclaim a place that had uh, fallen into alien hands it was also his um following out the the buddha's course uh um, Dharmapala the Buddha says I will stay here at the, uh on the diamond throne until I achieve en- enlightenment and Dharmapala says when he gets to Bodh Gaya I will stay here until I recover uh Bodh Gaya uh, from the Shaivites who control it presently mm-hmm. he he wore ochre he he tied he, he found lithographs of the Buddha and his robes, which are not monastic robes, but tied in a distinctive way, or were copied from the lithographs of the Buddha that uh, he he found, and he he constantly uh, uh, projects his life course, and he wants his ministry to last forty five years. Mm. Well, we know where he got that idea. Right. Uh, he's imitating the life of the Buddha. He wants to be reborn. Uh, on the Buddha Jayanti in 1956. So he will, will be able to receive the warrant uh, from the, the Buddha who, who was thought to return on that occasion, the same way the historical Buddha got the warrant uh, from the Buddha Deepankara, uh to become the next Buddha. So Dharmapala didn't, I mean, this is, this is, this sounds hugely hyperbolic and. In a way, it is, but it, it, he wants to imitate the Buddha, perfect his virtues, and then over a reasonable number of lifetimes—maybe seven lifetimes, let's us say arise rise to a state that would resemble um, the 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 last life of the uh, the Theravada <laughs> Siddhartha Buddha. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, it's it's not. It's it's not arrogant, it's not presumptuous, it is simply uh, high-minded, and uh, fixed on the idea that nirvana is a realistic, if not proximate goal. Yeah. In, in the Theravada world, in Sri Lanka in particular, Buddhist monks don't think that nirvana is a possibility, and so Dharmapala... Didn't think it was going to happen in uh, with <laughs> Zen like speed, mm-hmm. but he thought that he could be, he he could and he should begin the struggle for Nirvana as a realistic goal.
2: Um. Okay, so th- going from his sort of um, that sort of idea that he, he was imitating Buddha, uh, just going back to the Theosophical Society for a sec for a, uh, a second. Um, one of the things that you argue in your book is that the influence of the theosophical society and theosophical thought on Dharmapala was much more influential, was much more extensive than previous scholarship has uh, allowed. And um, previous scholarship often sort of marking 1905 as um, his sort of break with theosophy. Um, I was just wondering if you could, uh, Mention why previous scholarship has sort of downplayed or intentionally or unintentionally ignored this uh, influence of theosophy um and also this might be a good time to just mention where uh Dharmapala got his understanding of Buddhism from
0: ah uh, well he he gets it from western scholarships uh he taught himself Pali. Uh, and I think he was reasonably facile in reading Polly, but, uh, he surely didn't have anything resembling a monastic education. And I, uh, and so he's dependent upon, uh, the, 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 early Western publications. And above all, it's the Edwin Arnold poem, the, the Light of Asia, that, uh, gets him going as it got so many other, uh, uh, Asians going about the extraordinary personality of the Buddha and the, the achievement of of the Buddha he um, Dharmapala was a man who who read light of asia uh, I don't, he, he didn 't have he he knew that Bodhgaya was a real place he, 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 uh, and then there are were, there were lots of Japanese sources that say that the Japanese of the period thought that uh, Bodh Gaya was in the pure land mm. and not a it was a, a a mythological place and not a real place but uh Dharma is emboldened he is invigorated by his trip to Bodh Gaya because even though even though it's fallen into uh this extraordinary condition where it's held by a a, a, a group of uh uh Dasnami uh world renouncers who are uh, Shaivites, uh, it's the very place where the Buddha had his enlightenment, and uh, uh, Dharmapala is uh, invigorated by the, by that idea, and um, it sets off to try to recover the place because it makes no sense to him that uh, <laughs> it should be held by people who are not themselves Buddhist.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: So um. Now, in, in, in chapter two, you focus on, um, on Dharmapala's relationship with and experiences in Japan. He made four trips to Japan in 1889, 1893, 1902, and 1913. But, uh, besides those trips, he also had, um, a relationship with Japan, um, through, uh, through some monks at Bodagaya, through, um, his interactions with uh, Japanese at the World Parliament of Religions in 1893 in Chicago. So, um, could you just discuss his um, his views of Japan for sort of his view that it could uh, served as as a model for while it had developed quite rapidly economically as a Buddhist nation that had, as he saw, it, preserved its Asian civilization.
0: Right. Um, this is complicated. Uh, he, he had a very high opinion of Japan, and, and well, he might have, but uh, he, he saw in Japan what he wanted to see in Japan, mm. and uh, given the Meiji Reformation and the, the way the Japanese went crazy for w- Western values, uh, Western dress, Western cuisine, <laughs> the whole the whole uh, smear of uh, Western practices. Uh, he had to uh, he had to overlook that and he had to he had to overlook the fact that uh uh japanese monks uh, married he had uh, and since he understands the spiritual life is requiring celibacy that would was a problem mm-hmm. and uh he he was thoroughly uncomfortable with the amount of alcohol that <laughs> These lay people and Japanese monks drank on ritual occasions. So, um, uh, he, he, what he saw in Japan, uh, in spite of all of that, was an Asian society uh, that had held on to its distinctive identity. And I, I'm sure uh, visiting Japan in the late 19th century uh, and onwards, uh, it 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 didn't feel like a British colony. It it uh, mm-hmm. it was distinctive, and you know the the revival of Buddhism, which happens in late Meiji, um, that would have invigorated him. And uh, he 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 was the son of a well-to-do family. In Colombo, a, a Buddhist family, despite the fact that he was sent to Christian schools to be educated, and his father was in the furniture business, so he he when he got to Japan he he was he was eager in pursuing a number of commercial possibilities, and his brothers came to Japan to. Uh, pursue those possibilities, his father's firm started to import rickshaws, all of the rickshaws that were on the street uh, streets of Colombo uh, <laughs> well, when I first got to Sri Lanka. Uh, those are rickshaws imported from Japan, wow. uh, and uh, there were, I think, two major purveyors, but uh, one of the agency houses that sold Japanese rickshaws was... was uh, Don Carolus and Sons, which was Dara Mifala's father's firm, and his brother went into the match business, uh, uh importing matches from Japan. So, uh, if it, he, hes he's a religious re, re, reformer he's a sannyasin but he's not averse to uh taking on commercial activities because he knows he has to support his uh his own life, and he sees doing business in Japan uh, as a way that he 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 himself never does that, but he he imagines doing doing that, and he 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 sees Japan as this remarkable uh, economic engine that uh, uh, was growing more and more prosperous, more and more industrialized, and uh, he saw it as a alternative to the hegemony of the british raj and the colonial control of the sri lankan economy and he likewise does that in calcutta where uh, the, the the japanese have uh connections to uh the local economy and where they uh are envisioning a kind of uh, relationship with india that that the dharmapala had in mind namely uh we are co-religionists, and we are we are going to do business at the same time.
1: Mm.
2: So, so um, moving from Japan to uh, to Bengal to Calcutta, um, I, I, I in, a, in, a, in a second I want to turn to uh, the Mahabodhi Temple in Bodhagaya and Dharma efforts to gain control of the temple. But um, I just want to first talk uh, I'd first wanted to ask if you could address um, his relationship with the Bengali elite in Calcutta and specifically his relationship with Swami Vivekananda. Um, I think he spent, I don't quite remember, but something like three fourths of his life in Calcutta. And, um, and I, when he presented his cause of um, gaining control of the Mahabodhi temple to the Calcutta elite, to some of his supporters there, Um, He seems to have stressed some of the uh, congruities between um, Hinduism and Buddhism. Um, And so I was wondering if you could just address his relationship with the Salih and sort of his presentation of Buddhism in this context.
0: Uh, Surely. Uh, He he enters a world in in Calcutta... um, of, of theosophists, of well-to-do Bengalis who have an interest in Olcott's and Blavatsky's, uh, Theosophical Society. So he has a, a, a ready network of people. They're all Hindus. They're, they're not Muslims. Uh, there's, there's, there's a small community of Buddhists in, well, there are two small communities of Buddhists in Calcutta at the time, uh, the Chinese, who he totally ignored, and uh, people from Chittagong, who are uh, Arcanese, and who are themselves in the process of uh, establishing a monkhood and building a temple. uh, And Dharmapala has... uh, uh, sporadic connections with the leader of of those uh, uh, Arakanese Buddhists, but he he casts his lot with the Bhadralok. Lok, uh, mm-hmm. and, and these are people who are Hindus. So his problem is to um, try to per- portray Buddhism in a way that uh, uh, makes sense to people who are. Uh, uh, Otherwise, committed, and uh, it, it, in some ways it 's not as much of an intellectual task as it could have been the the, the Buddha, the Buddha was an Indian. The Buddha no doubt went uh, if, he, if he had a descriptor for his religious identity uh, it, uh, this is atavistic but or, or anachronistic rather. Um, he would have called himself a Hindu and, and not a mm-hmm. Buddhist, yeah. uh, but uh, that term not being available <laughs> at right. the time mm-hmm. of the Buddha, um, uh, he, 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 he thought he had discovered a, a variant on the ongoing nature of uh, Dharma
1: mm-hmm. that
0: uh, 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 was the truth. But whether the very idea is, is is anachronistic, whether it was a new religion, um, that that's a historical uh, um, misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. So he he can present the the the, the Buddha as uh, a true son of India, as someone who uh, is uh, uh, borrowing or uh, depending upon. Uh, ideas that are characteristic of Hinduism, and uh, that, that's that's plausible enough. But then there's the the fact that uh, Hinduism historically had reabsorbed the Buddha uh, as a uh, incarnation of Vishnu. So, um, in, in in a sense, Hinduism had already done the work for Dharmapala mm-hmm. by <laughs> <laughs> making the Buddha. A, a world historical figure, but a world historical figure uh, under, a, under a Hindu aspect. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was certainly uh, uh, Vivekananda's understanding. Vivekananda and Dharmapala met at the uh, World Congress of Religions in Chicago. And could you, um, could, and
2: could you just give a one set explanation of who Vivekananda is for, any, for people who don't know?
0: yeah sure um, uh, Vivekananda is the, uh, the the student of uh, uh, of a, uh, a extraordinary another extraordinary personality Ramakrishna uh, uh, who started a movement in Bengal. Uh, Ramakrishna was uh, a, a village Brahmin and and illiterate but hugely charismatic and uh, imaginative and Vivekananda was his student. Uh, he, not not uh, not nearly as imaginative. Well, in, imaginative enough, but not not as perhaps as uh, 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 extravagant as uh, as Ramakrishna. But he's the he's the, the 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 first Hindu guru to come to the West. He preaches a kind of Hindu universalism which is founded on the vedas and in the end hindu universalism becomes uh, vedantic mm. <laughs> hinduism yeah. um, but he is the a person who um, who does in the west what dharmapala did in the west namely uh, embody these uh, faraway Asian traditions that some Westerners have a, uh, an understanding of and an inclination toward. And the, the, the two of them fall in with a whole set of well-to-do ladies uh, uh, in New England, in Chicago, in Los Angeles. And they um, they become the supporters of these two guys. Uh, Vivekananda's... Uh, Vivekananda, uh, I think, spends five years after the, the World Congress of Religions uh, in, the, in the United States, and he propagates his, uh, his distinctive view of Hinduism. Dharmapala returns home very quickly, and uh, Vivekananda... Uh, I would say of uh, 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 the, the the contemporaneous accounts of the two men uh give the edge to Vivekananda as being the the more persuasive, but they were both uh, the stars of this occasion mm-hmm. and um they they represent the 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 bringing of uh the guru phenomenon uh to the west and the and the bringing of uh of Asian religions as uh, something that one could pick up and practice in in Western contexts
1: mm-hmm.
0: so so, so, so um,
2: mo- moving back to the uh, Mahabodhi temple in Bodhagaya in Bihar, in the state of Bihar in India. Um, you note that this was seems to and correct me if I'm wrong, but this was came to be the central focus of Dharmapala's life uh, was the sort of regaining of Buddhist control over the Mahabodhi temple um, so I was wondering if you could just um, well first if you could just say when um, when Dharmapala first visited Gaya in was it 1891 um, or anyway when he first visited Gaya, what did he find uh, who owned the temple at that time what was the situation Sure. Um, and then also if you could just talk more broadly about why this spot was so important from him. You already mentioned uh the way in which he was sort of emulating the life of the Buddha. Um but also in the larger context of um sort of his aspirations for some sort of Buddhist universalism, even though he had his reservations right. about the possibility of unity, what right. what function was the Mahabodhi temple to play?
1: Sorry, that's sort of two
2: questions, and both <laughs> slightly large questions. But may, 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 maybe let's just begin with—I mean, what was the state of the Mahabodhi Temple when right.
0: the that, first? that's started? a good place to begin. Um, it was uh, the, the, the 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 British had uh, uh, renovated the place uh, ten years earlier, uh, so the temple tower had been reconstituted. It it had fallen into wreck and ruin. There was a Shaivite monastery uh, nearby and the, the, the Mahant or the abbot of the Shaivite monastery owned the temple. Uh, and he ran it as part of a larger temple complex uh, centered on Gaia. So this is when, when Hindu pilgrims came to the place, there was a circuit that uh, uh, followed the the uh, the imagined uh, outline of a great uh, cosmic body uh, mm-hmm. the feet of which were found at Bodh Gaya so people who were coming to uh, uh, uh do their, their 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 ritual duty to their their ancestors to their fathers in particular uh would come to Bodh Gaya as as uh uh, a place where you would offer Pinda, where you would offer uh, uh, your respect to uh, sacred places. And uh, this being India, uh, sacred space is sacred space. The the, the Shaivites are there. The, 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 presumably, the, the, the best guess is that they were there from the late 1500s onwards. By uh, uh, 1727, they have a deed uh, from the Mughal emperor, so th- 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 they're in a very strong position. Uh Dharmapala arrives, and he can't imagine that this dilapidated place will, can't be immediately returned to the Buddhists because it is the 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 holy of holies. It's the 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 place for, of enlightenment, and uh, it, it, he he. he he has, uh, I, I think this is fair to say, he has a, a world religions view of um, Buddhism. That is, it is a exclusive community. It is uh, an absolute commitment to one ism and uh, to the exclusion of other isms. And mm. India historically has been... Uh, I'll, 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 more eclectic um mm-hmm. the, the, that's why a mosque be, gets gets built on the site of a hindu temple that's why uh shivites can take over a buddhist place this is sacred ground and it can be mythologically reincorporated into the hindu tradition but it has an intrinsic kind of sacredness and dharmapala uh uh, uh makes his argument for bodhgaya being a buddhist place uh one, on the, the historical truth of the matter, which is, to the best of our knowledge, this is the place where, of enlightenment, but also uh, because he has a world religions kind of view of uh, Buddhism, which is uh, the Muslims have Mecca, uh, the Christians have Jerusalem, the Buddhists have to have a sacred place, uh, uh, and, and it's, it's going to be Bodh Gaya. Sarnath, he visited Sarnath first, the place where the Buddha preached his first sermon. but And he ended up living at Sarnath and building a temple at Sarnath, and it became a much more effective place for him to uh, do business. But uh, his heart was with Bodh Gaya. He, he, he lost the last legal effort to recover the place in 1910, but he never got over the fact that... Uh, uh, the, the The sacred Buddhist place was in the hands of Shaivites. The Shaivites were completely open handed They were happy to have Buddhist pilgrims come there There was a huge majority of Hindu pilgrims who came mm-hmm. but uh, uh, Tibetans came uh, uh, Sri Lankans would come occasionally. Uh, people from Burma would come the the last uh, the minden min the the, the Burmese emperor uh, had uh, made a huge investment trying to refurbish uh, Bodh Gaya, so the Burmese were in, invested in the place, and they uh, pilgrims would have come from Burma to Bodh Gaya, but the the, the numbers were a hundred to one as to who the pilgrims were. Mm-hmm. But the the, the Shaivets had no interest in excluding the Buddhists. Uh, the but when Dharmapala got there, he had a real interest in excluding the Shaivites so, <laughs> because of his particular understanding of, of religiosity and pilgrimage.
2: So at the end of Dharmapala's life, uh, what was the, what was the um, situation with regards to the Mahabodhi temple in terms of ownership?
0: uh it, by the, by the middle 1920s Dumperpole was in a very frail physical condition by then but by the 1920s the Indian National Congress uh made more and more concessions to uh the Buddhists and they did so uh I, I think in a uh, uh a, a, a fully generous spirit Gandhi said uh as soon as India is independent uh We'll be we'll we'll be be able to sort this out, and what he meant by sort it out is we'll we'll give the 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 Mahabodhi Temple back to the Buddhists. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the 1920s, the the compromise was there would be a there would be a, a, a committee uh, of uh, Hindus and Buddhists who would look after the place. They would be equally represented, and. Um, a government of uh of official would have the deciding vote and uh, that would always give the hindus the advantage so mm-hmm. the Buddhists were not interested in in being subordinated and they they the dharmapala in particular wanted bodh gaya to be a, a buddhist place which is what it's become now yeah uh, by way of land reform in india the Mahant has had his 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 extravagant land holdings taken from him. He, a world renouncer, was one of the richest men in India and certainly one of the richest men in in Bihar. He had sixty thousand acres of land under cultivation, and peasant farmers who uh, sharecropped for him. Mm-hmm. So he was a very wealthy man, and he could hire the best attorneys to defend his his rights. And above all, he he had a deed. And the British were people who respected their rule of law. So even though their sympathies were uh, strongly in favor of Buddhism, that is, they they were they 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 understood Bodh Gaya as a Buddhist place. But uh, uh, you can. <laughs> You can find official after official whose whose personal sympathies lie with Buddhism and not Hinduism. It it is it is a Protestant Catholic kind of uh, uh, invidious distinction. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Hindus have uh, have idols. But uh, the Buddhists have images. <laughs> they don't believe. That, they don't believe in darshan. They don't believe yeah. in uh, the possibility that you can have a, 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 a real life relationship with, with an idol. Um, it's simply commemorative, and so uh, there is a kind of Protestant Buddhism. It's it's the Buddhism that the British uh, 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 saw. which had certain Protestant qualities that they found very attractive
1: Mm.
2: yeah it is interesting when I was reading it I was curious so I looked at the English language Wikipedia article on the Mahabodhi temple to see what it would if it said anything about the Shaivite temple and I think it said absolutely nothing I was a little shocked but um, I I mean I'd be interested to read the you know Hindi and uh, you know Bengali sort of Wikipedia pages on it and see you know if it's different but anyway um so we're getting a little close to the end. I wanted to uh, say something. I wanted you to say something about the British Empire before we finish, though. In uh, Chapter 5, once you focus on this, you uh, begin by reminding us of two universalisms around which Dharmapala's life revolved, that of Asian Buddhisms and another organized around the Theosophical Society. But you then draw our attention to a third type of universalism at play, and that is the universalism of the British Empire. So as, could you just discuss, please, how this universe operated in Dharmapala's life, how it allowed him to move between uh, different countries with relative ease and the roles, the role of the concepts of class and civilization in Dharmapala's experience of the British Imperium? Uh, I also wondered if you could mention here about the fact that he tended to divide people in terms of um, – you seem to suggest that he sometimes divided people – less in terms of ethnicities, um, rather than uh, dividing, for example, Sinhalese from English, for example. um, He would divide people according to, you know, whether they were sort of civilized or not, or whether of a particular class or not.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll do the best I can. I I never really fully responded to your question about why Dharmapala gets understood as a... uh, a nationalist and nothing but, uh, and m- maybe one way I can approach the universalism question is by going back to that and sure. then trying to try to ha- handle twelve twelve things at once. Um, Dharma Paula, it seems to me, is a is a man who is first and foremost a world renouncer. He, uh, one of the things you learn from reading the diaries, is he had a disabled leg, and he thought. Uh, he, he intended to become a Buddhist monk, but he had a disability, and, and that he thought would uh, prohibit his uh, being robed and eventually becoming a full-fledged monk. So um, if you if you start with the idea that he, he sees celibacy as the key to the religious life, and he sees himself as a brahmacharya, he, he moves around the world, and he, he, he's imitating the life of the Buddha which is to say his his gaze is fixed on salvation. But uh, remember the Buddha, uh, instead of uh, actually realizing nirvana, stays behind for 45 years to share the Dhamma with others. And Dharmapala is motivated to regain Bodhgaya and to... Uh, 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 Spread Buddhism to the West and try to link together the various Buddhist countries um, because he he sees himself as uh, acting on compassion and mm-hmm. uh, that's an imitation of the Buddha and that's a, a a motivation for doing social reform so he moves he he moves i I, th- I think you can Get a better fix on him, too, by saying he's not a nationalist at home and a universalist abroad. What he is, first and foremost, is a world renouncer. He's that at home and he's that abroad. And so he sees himself at a remove from all social identities. Mm. But um, that doesn't mean he doesn't. Uh, honor that or those identities or see himself as a, uh, as a participant in the British Raj. He's a subject, he's not a citizen, um, and, but he is, he's, he's less of a nationalist than people make out, and, uh, he, he speaks of Swaraj, which uh, is a resonant of phrase in South Asian studies because it 's gandhi 's phrase it means self rule uh, what Gandhi wanted was self rule what Dharmapala wanted was self rule but it it, it uh, means two things at once it, it, for both of them it means it means uh, uh, for Gandhi, it means independence. Uh, actually, it comes to mean independence. Uh, for, for Dharmapala, it means home rule. Uh, Sri Lanka is part of the, uh, the, the larger colonial system, whatever that might have become. But he, he understands Swaraj the same way Gandhi understands Swaraj, which is to say the, the, the self-discipline, uh, self-control. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stuff about uh, civilization is uh, um, predicated on this notion that there are civilized people in this world, some of them are Sri Lankan and some of them are british um, and, but they all they all tend to have the same social characteristics; they all tend to be well to do and english speaking and and uh, and disciplined in in terms that that Dharmapala would recognize so mm-hmm he produces a
1: uh,
0: uh, a list of rules uh, called the uh din or the Gihi vinaya um, which are 200 plus rules for civilized behavior he once he he publishes that in his newspaper singala Baudia, he which is read by People in village Sri Lanka, and he he means it as uh, uh, a tool for uh, refinement. It's sort of a Norbert Elias kind of uh, uh, primer for getting people who who. Uh, 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 might blow their nose on their sleeve uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to act in a refined way. And uh, Obisacra and uh, Gombrich take that as uh, evidence of Protestantism. I take that as evidence of his wanting villagers to be uh, more self-disciplined, and more civilized, and the rules are, are, are the way that uh, he can make it perfectly clear <laughs> mm-hmm. what villagers ought to be doing.
2: Yeah. And, and, and with regard to his attitude towards uh, the British, it would seem that I was, you know, so, um, some of the things you talk about, like, for example, his loyalty to the, um, to the, to the, Briti- to the king and um, his sort of his gratefulness to the English language also seemed to contradict his the image of uh, Dharmapala as a nationalist.
0: Yeah, I think, I think in retrospect, he's been, he's been, um, appropriated by, uh, the nation. And, um, I, I, it, it's, this is not a deep message, but I, I, I think it, it's, clear all across the colonial world and in the late 19th and early 20th century that uh the people who were eventually to become nationalists were uh saw themselves as as part of the british raj and if the british had behaved themselves uh, more appropriately uh, they probably could have held on to the british empire for, mm-hmm. for a long long time but uh, whether it's uh uh Jali Anwala Bagh and the, the massacre of, of Hindus, or whether it's the, the kinds of uh, uh, nastiness that Gandhi suffered, um, uh, those people were alienated from the British, and they, they gave up the hope for any kind of uh, uh, good feeling uh, between the British and... Um, uh, and people in South Asia, and, and I would say for Dharmapala, uh, less so. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't a rabid nationalist. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't, uh, uh, he wanted Sri Lankans, he wanted Singhalas, that is the Buddhist majority in Sri Lanka, to be proud of who they were. He wanted people to wear national dress. He, he helped invent national dress. Uh, he wanted, uh, he, he he wanted the uh, uh, villagers to be civilized uh but he, he 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 was he he was with villagers he was worried about them having fallen into lethargy uh mm-hmm. and corruption by way of alcohol with uh, the Colombo elite he was uh he was put off by their being deracinated and so he wanted um urban-dwelling Singhalas to become um, more Singhala and and more Buddhist, and he wanted villagers to become uh, more active and more civilized.
1: Mm.
2: Great. So um, that brings us close to the end. I do want to mention for listeners that this book is full of a lot of information, and you also... (laughs) I mean, it's over, it's what, about 440 pages. And then, in addition to that, it, inc- it has, there are two appendices uh, one um, on Dharmapala's diaries, and the other that gives a, chronolog- a chronology of Dharmapala's life. Um, and for people interested in sort of the late 19th, early 20th century, for uh, uh, in uh, Buddhist modernism and such, there are a lot of discussions. Um, there are a lot of places where you go uh, into great detail concerning the sort of historical context um, quite separate from Dharmapala, of course related but even for uh, readers who aren't necessarily interested in Dharmapala per se there's a lot to um, there's a lot of uh, very valuable work here and I should also mention anyone interested in the history of Bodhagaya, um, there's a lot of um, this will be a very um, valuable read. So, as a last question, I just wanted to um, ask if there's anything particular that you're working on now. Um, I know this book was just published, so um, perhaps it's taken a rest for the time being. But...
0: <laughs> no, I'm moving on. I'm I, I'm, I'm interested in, in modern Buddhism, and I have... Um, I've uh, been working at the British Library for the last three or four years trying to uh, uh, better understand uh, how it is uh, that uh, uh, two things happen uh, that I think are constitutive of, of, of modern Buddhism. One is, how is it that Westerners come to become Buddhists? That, uh, that's linked up with Dharma Dharmathal in a number of ways. He didn't convert very many people. Uh, but he, he, he worked in league with, uh, uh, Loka, who was an Irish, uh, monk who became, an Irishman who became a monk, and, uh, uh, Ananda Metteya, uh, the Englishman who became a Buddhist monk in, uh, in Burma. They both became Buddhist monks in Burma. And, uh, uh, i, I mentioned interested on the one hand, uh, in, uh, modernity as expressed by the fact that uh, Westerners can imagine becoming either a monk or a, a Buddhist layperson and uh, choosing at the, at the same historical moment to do something that's that's radical and traumatic, which is to give up your identity as a Christian or uh, whatever you might be mm. and become a Buddhist in a, at a time when Buddhism um, was alien and uh, hard to imagine, I think, for mm. most Americans. And I'm interested on the other side of it, which is, how is it that, that Buddhist lay people uh, in Sri Lanka, as, a, as opposed to the traditional understanding of themselves as diocese, that is, as of uh, people who lead the religious life by supporting monks... How do they come to be activists? How do they mm-hmm. come to be laicized? How do they come to think that they can uh, can lead a fully spiritual life and take responsibility not only for their own salvation, but also for reforming their religion and uh, uh, modernizing their religion? So I want to think about how it is that... Dharmapala as an interstitial figure gives rise to these two uh, modernist turns. Mm. On the one hand, Westerners becoming monks, and on the other hand, uh, uh, Sri Lankan Dayakas becoming uh, Buddhist lay people who think that they, uh, they are an important part of the religion.
2: Great. Well, we'll look forward to uh, future publications on those, uh, on those themes. But. Um I just wanted to thank you again for speaking with me today and also to thank our listeners for tuning in. Uh, That's it for today's new book in Buddhist studies. See you next time.